The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Uh, a very warm welcome to Scorebox this Monday morning. Absolutely key day for European markets, for European economics. We've got Jeff Cutmore, of course, in Downing Street to look at that important uh, UK prime ministerial announcement. We've got Karen covering all the markets in London, and you've got me, Steve Sedgwick, uh, in Italy. These are your headlines. Russia's Gazprom indefinitely suspending gas flows through Nord Stream 1 putting further pressure on Europe's energy suppliers ahead of the winter. The EU Economics Commissioner Paolo Gentiloni tells CNBC the Kremlin is weaponizing energy. The European Union is ready to react. Of course, we will have to save energy. We will have to share energy. We have high level of storage and we are not afraid of Putin's decisions. As you may expect, European governments are rushing to react to the suspension with Sweden and Finland launching support packages for their energy firms, warning of a Lehman Brothers moment for the energy sector. Wall Street posts its third straight week of losses despite a solid August jobs report, while US Senator Lindsey Graham tells CNBC he wants President Trump to focus on policy and any new bid for the White House. Now, I will say this, after the Biden presidency, if there's a policy debate in 2024, I like his chances. If it's a personality contest, he'll be in trouble. Italy's nationalist Brothers of Italy party leads polls less than three weeks from elections. As Democratic Party leader and potential Prime Minister Enrico Letta tells CNBC, he offers a viable alternative to the right. I want to propose to the Italians uh, an idea of Italy that is pro-European, pro-vaccine, pro-science, not in denial on climate change, working in cooperation with the other countries. And good morning everybody from Downing Street, where as Steve was pointing out, today is the day the Conservative Party will find out who its new leader is, and obviously that means the UK will find out who its new Prime Minister will be. Liz Truss at the moment, the UK Foreign Secretary, does appear to be in pole position to take that job. And of course, everybody fascinated to find out what then will be her policy platform for tackling the cost of living crisis here in the UK. Gazprom has suspended gas flows through Europe's Nord Stream 1 pipeline until further notice, raising existing fears of an energy crisis on the continent this winter. The Russian energy giant has announced the decision just hours after G7 countries agreed to cap the price of Russian crude oil in an effort to hurt Moscow's finances. Flows were due to resume early Saturday morning after they were halted for what was described as scheduled maintenance. But Gazprom says the pipeline needs to be shut down while the turbine leak is repaired, something Zima's Energy, which manufactures the turbines, denies. 
Meanwhile, Germany has announced a 65 billion euro relief package in an effort to help households with soaring inflation and living costs this winter. The measures will be financed by a windfall tax on electricity producers with a price cap imposed on renewable energy firms. Chancellor Olaf Scholz says they are making excessive profits while the market price for electricity is largely determined by the price of gas, which has soared in the past year. And let's get out to Steve, who has more from the shores of Lake Como, where he has been talking to many leaders across the field. Steve, this is an incredible turn of events. I think many of us have been talking about a weaponized product, weaponized gas, weaponized oil for many months here. But just as we're getting some good news flow about storage levels building up in Germany, now another blow when it comes to product coming through from Russia. Yeah, good morning to Karen. Look, I mean, I think our coverage has been pretty spot on, the three of us. I've got to be honest, I think we've seen this coming potential, seen concerns that the, the caged tiger that is Vladimir Putin will use all the weapons he can to put pressure on the West, to put pressure on Europe, which has pretty well so far uh, supported uh, the Ukrainian people in their battle against the uh, invasion from the Russians as well. As you can imagine, I came into this weekend with the key topic of conversation being the Italian election. And it was still absolutely important for Italy domestically. And every conversation, uh, we talked about it. But there is no doubt about it. It is this energy story which then dominated from start to finish. And I spoke to some incredible people from all over the world here at Ambrosetti. And I've never seen a story dominate Ambrosetti as much as this Russian energy turning off the taps of Nord Stream 1 at this time. Now, there is nothing coincidental about this timing as well. There are Italian politicians who believe they've done it to interfere with the Italian election, to put pressure on the mainstream parties. There are European politicians who think they've done it on purpose because of of what's been agreed at the G7. And there are international politicians who believe uh, it is because uh, Russia uh, is sending out a message to the world, really, about the power it still has as well. So I'm going to start giving you th some of the tape, the vast amount of tape we've accumulated over the weekend as well. First of all, listen to uh, what we call a SOT string, i.e. some sound from the uh, EU Commissioner uh, Paolo Gentiloni. He's in charge of the economy. Then you'll hear from Bruno Le Maire, uh, of course, the French finance minister. Pretty hawkish gentleman. I've got to say, we'll play a lot more of his tape later on as well. And Enrico Letta, the former Prime Minister of Italy, who is also the leader of the PT, PD, which is vying to be the largest party in Italy, but not part of the largest coalition. Let's listen to those three gentlemen. We expect that Russia um, is respecting the contracts that they have. But even if the weaponization of energy will continue or will increase, um, in response to our decisions, I think that the European Union is ready to react. Of course, we will have to save energy, we will have to share energy, we have high level of storage, and we are not afraid of Putin's decisions. The key point is to pass through this uh, winter without too many difficulties for European economies and European citizens. That's the key point. The, the first thing to do is, of course, to reduce our consumption. The second point is to uh, diversify the supplies. Uh, we want to get rid of uh, supplies coming from Russia because we know that Vladimir Putin is going to cut the gas supply for Europe. So we have to enter into a diversification of uh, suppliers. And the third point, of course, is to reduce the uh, oil and gas revenues for Russia, 
because if we want to be uh, efficient in uh, these uh, sanctions, we need to reduce the revenues that Russia is gaining from uh, oil and uh, gas selling. Russia is trying to influence uh, uh, European uh, uh, political landscape and is trying to influence Italian elections because it is clear that in the next three uh, decisive weeks of the electoral campaign being at the very heart of such an energy crisis would be a problem for the Italian uh, uh, political landscape and it will help the right and in the right within the Italian right you have two parties Salvini and Berlusconi's party uh, who are close friends of Putin and I think there there's the the need the idea, the influence that Putin uh, would like to have uh, towards and against uh, Italy. I just want to make a point about that last bit of sound you heard from Enrico Letta there as well. Now, a critic, a cynic might argue he's seeing a situation and he's trying to make the best of it for his own party with three weeks to go before the election. I understand that as well. But also, Mr. Putin does have form, doesn't he, of interfering with Western elections. Whatever you believe he did or didn't do in the United States, we know that the Russians have tried on various occasions to influence elections in the West as well. So I thought that was an absolutely fascinating point from Mr. Letta there, former Prime Minister, uh, obviously a leader of the PD. Right, I do want to go back to the Paolo Gentiloni tape because we had a, a very interesting conversation about what Russia is doing, what it isn't doing, and the tools available to the West as well. Because yes, the G7 has made its agreement, and I'm going to be honest with you, there are holes in that G7 uh, price cap agreement, including what the Japanese are doing with Sakhalin, where they've invested a vast amount of money there as well. But can the West fight back? Is there or are there tools at the disposal? Let's listen to Paolo Gentiloni, the European Economics Commissioner, and then we'll get Jeff, myself and Karen to have a chat about this. It's already quite bad if we think to the fact that gas price is ten times the price it was one year ago. If we look at the fact that the inflation component of energy is around 40% now. So worse than this is difficult. What, of course, could happen is that the difficulties in supply could increase uh, with uh, Russians' decisions. But I repeat, we are preparing ourselves to such kind of decisions since months. At the same time, and perhaps not coincidentally, um, the G7 has talked about now a further action on, on a price cap for Russian oil as well. Is that practical unless you get buy-in from the rest of the world who are still getting discounted Russian oil, the huge nations of the world such as the Chinese and the, Russia, uh, the Indians as well? If we don't get buy-in at a global level, how useful is a price cap from the G7? Well, I think it's quite uh, important. Um, in the call we had yesterday, we discussed uh, mainly two things. First, um, the strength of uh, G7 countries uh, is not only because they are huge economies, they have a lot of population, but also because of their strength in the insurance uh, shipping sector, uh, which will be very important uh, for uh, implementing this ban. Second, we discuss how to build a broader global coalition 
I am sure that some countries, for example, Australia, South Korea, could be interested in this coalition. But I'm also convinced on the fact that other countries, uh, even without um, participating directly to this coalition, could have an advantage on the fact that oil prices are down. There is a lot of margin um, for oil prices, and I'm sure that other countries will not maybe participate to the coalition, but will have advantages. So let me just recap what you just said. If, if, and this is my words, not yours. If Russia weaponizes oil and gas, then we have the ability to weaponize shipping and insurance in reaction. Well, uh, we, are, we are not weaponizing anything. We are reacting. Um, we are reacting to something that is happening since months. Uh, and at the end of the day, we see the Russian economy uh, with 15% of inflation, with a dramatic fall in import, but surviving because of the high prices of oil and gas. And we can't look to this situation without any reaction for months. So the two decision announced yesterday, it was political announcements, uh, a gas uh, cap from Ursula von der Leyen and an oil cap from the G7. Strangely enough, they came in the same day, but this is a clear political message that enough is enough. I think the point there is the West isn't uh, an innocent bystander. They can react in some way, shape or form to what the Russians are doing. But there's no doubt about it. The economic pain that Vladimir Putin is putting upon Europe, especially, uh, could potentially uh, have serious ramifications, possibly even try and crash uh, the European economy. But what are the ramifications from that globally as well? What does that mean for the Russian OPEC allies as well? You crash one of the biggest economies in the world or one of the biggest blocks, that is going to have serious ripple effects. Uh, around the globe as well. So I wonder what some of the producing allies think about the Russian actions at the moment. We're going to hear from Jeff in a few moments' time, but Karen, this is having big ramifications uh, on the foreign exchange rates across Europe. Indeed it is. We're seeing the announcements this morning just crossing the wires a short moment ago. Uh, Euro has extended its declines. It was down a 0.7% morning session and uh, getting us to 0.9887. So effectively, we've now slumped to a 20-year low the levels we've just seen after that 0.9883 and you can see uh, we're drifting around those levels so we have certainly declined and this is telling you a reading on the market about uh, who has the power here in terms of uh, this gas supply and what the ramifications are sterling as well we've seen declines here this morning it's been quite an incredible journey if you take a look at sterling dollar of the course of this year what we started out perched uh, at uh, highs of around 137 back in january and you can see 114 57 the level this morning we are actually now 114.52.50 so we continue to fall and that's a two and a half year low we're witnessing on sterling let me just pick up on that point and get to jeff because it is a, a big backdrop today as we wait for a new prime minister to be announced today and already it's been pointed out about the the lack of spending initiatives to shield consumers in the uk versus what we've seen across in other countries in europe and just give us a sense it feels as though there's not going to be a honeymoon period for either liz truss or rishi sunak whoever is announced as prime minister today no, absolutely, Karen. I think um, terms like honeymoon period um, ultimately don't really apply in this situation, given 
there are so many problems that need to be addressed and so many that are very serious. And just to pick up on, on Steve's point, I mean, Steve has largely been talking, I think, about the supply side challenges and how uh, Europe is uh, taking on President Putin and uh, imposing or trying to impose this price cap. Of course, the challenge is that this is not a closed loop. Ultimately, there are countries like India or China or others who may be willing to work with the Russians and take energy at a price that the, the Russians are keen to charge. So we'll just have to wait and see how that all evolves. But I think useful as we think about this change of leadership that we have here in the UK, useful to think about the fiscal and the demand side, because the price mechanism is already doing a job on demand. And I think you can see that already. And I think that people are already going to begin trying to moderate their consumption, businesses the same as the higher prices are imposing this form of discipline. Directly to your question, what is there in terms of fiscal support to come? Well, this trust, who looks likely to become the next Prime Minister, has already talked about a package in an emergency budget very shortly after taking up the job that would be aimed at trying to provide some support for consumers here in the UK. And I think if, if, if you want to imagine what that could look like, perhaps reflect back on some of the pandemic support programs that we saw. So it could be a freeze, it could be some form of uh, subsidy. We'll just have to wait and see what ultimately her advisors have come up with. But I do want to make a point about the currencies because why do currencies move? Why do they go higher? Why do they go lower? It's often to do with the interest rate differential and what leadership uh, one country may have over another in terms of its um, uh, central bank action and the level of policy rates. And at the moment, um, I think we know that the uh, Federal Reserve has primacy in that camp. But it's also about the credibility of the country and the kind of deficits and debt levels that it's running. And I think that is, in part, the larger reason maybe why we are seeing these declines for the euro and for the pound, that international markets are becoming nervous about the fiscal support packages that government after government keeps discussing to provide some kind of easing of the pain for consumers. So I think we just obviously need to keep a close eye on what this UK government is going to come up with. The, uh, the, the trust agenda so far has been about tax cuts. It's been about tax cuts for, for individuals and for companies. It's been about rolling back April's national insurance hike and it's been about these subsidies. And as markets look at what that means for the UK economy and for government balances, clearly it's concerned that debt to GDP is going to continue to roll on from the 104%, I think, that we saw in 2021. So there are no easy choices here, it seems, on both the supply and the demand side. But at the moment, um, we need some leadership, at least here in the UK, to come up with a policy platform to at least attempt to address these issues. Because for the last uh, few weeks, as we know, or the eight weeks or so that we've had of campaigning here uh, to become UK Prime Minister, we've had policy drift from the Boris Johnson government, Steve. 
Yeah, Jeff, thanks very much indeed, and I think all of the above as well. Look, I just want to make one more point. Uh, I spoke to Lindsey Graham, who's a very, very close ally to Donald Trump, who could well be potentially in pole position uh, to take over in 2024. Who knows what will happen that far ahead as well. Uh, but I asked him a very specific question. We'll run that tape uh, a little bit later on the program, just before the market opened. Do you think that this crisis has weakened the relationship in the West between the US and Europe, or has it made it stronger? He took a seat back. He thought about it and he said, without doubt, stronger. Uh, and therein is, lies another calculation from Mr. Putin, which potentially isn't quite what he thought. The links between the West and liberal allies appear to be getting stronger. And that, of course, is a warning not only to Russia, but also to China as well. And the ramifications from this blockade, A, and what it means geopolitically, B, what it means economically as well, uh, that is going to affect the whole world. And very interesting to see, as I say, how some of the allies or erstwhile allies of Mr. Putin react to this, i.e., A, what are you doing to reinvigorate liberal democracies, B, uh, get alternative supplies, C, uh, in terms of creating uh, an economic crash potentially for Europe, which could well happen if you look at the prices we're seeing, uh, that will have global ramifications and a lot of people will be looking at Mr Putin saying, why? Just going to jump in with some comments that was from a consultancy, Aurora, and effectively what we're down to now. Don't forget, we've seen uh, the amount of product coming through Nord Stream One already decline uh, quite significantly. So now, as we talk about a total shutdown here, uh, this was from Jacob Mandel, effectively saying that 20% uh, of capacity was where we're at before the latest shutdown. So now, as we talk about this product coming out, we're talking really about just 4% of Germany's annual demand and less than 1% of Europe's annual demand. So I think that's quite interesting as we talk about what uh, product is now missing from the system as the market reacts here. But, uh, of course, you can have plenty more from our coverage of Europe's energy crisis on the CNBC website. And don't forget to check out that uh, story as we continue our live coverage and chase market reaction today. Finland and Sweden are providing $33 billion in credit guarantees for power companies as firms look to stave off insolvency following a spike in natural gas prices. Finland's economic affairs minister likened the situation to a Lehman Brothers moment for the energy sector. We're going to hear more on the U.S. response to Nord Stream 1's shutdown later on today when we're joined by the former U.S. energy secretary, Dan Brulette. That is a 9.30 CET. And coming up on the show, Republican Senator Lindsey Graham tells former uh, President Trump to forget about the 2020 election as he considers a political comeback. We'll have more after the break. And uh, just a reminder for more on the energy crisis facing Europe after Gazprom suspends Nord Stream 1, check out the Squawk Box podcast. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts.
a lot of fast-moving pieces here in Europe this morning as we take a look at markets and how they've started across the Asian day. Picking up from declines, of course, stateside Friday, the non-farm payrolls report that wasn't too far off uh, expectations, but of course uh, the US out of action today for Labor Day, so that uh, is impacting volumes. We are down on most of these major markets at this stage. And let me take you to those uh, numbers. US employers added 315,000 jobs in August. This, of course, being the headline act stateside. Missing some estimates slightly, but I've got to say it was pretty close data series, given what we had recently. The unemployment rate stayed near a 50-year low, despite ticking up to 3.7%. The strong jobs data presents a mixed picture for the Federal Reserve, who's vowed to continue raising interest rates in order to bring down inflation. Now to the US market reaction. Across the board, we unwound this hawkish tilt from the central bank impacting markets still. And you can see for the Dow, we peeled off 1%. Similar size decline on the S&P 500. For the Nasdaq, down 1.3%. Over the course of the trading week, the Nasdaq was down to the tune of 4.2%. So significant retreat is what we've witnessed. While Friday's job numbers are good news for the Biden administration, but the dollar's growing strength could pose problems down the road with midterm elections in two months' time. Steve is, of course, at Lake Como this morning, where you've seen him from. Steve, the comments you picked up on the weekend seem to tell a story of the U.S. already in election mode. Yeah, yeah, always in election mode, Karen. I'm, I'm like this country, actually. Look, you've got the midterms, as you just mentioned, a couple of months away, and then we've got basically the run into the presidential election as well. The privilege of our job is you get to meet fascinating people, people you've read about for years and, and who are very, very split in what people think about them as well. One of those people is without doubt the South Carolina Senator Lindsey Graham as well, one of the absolute kingmakers and key people within the Republican Party. I, I had uh, a lot of time with him. Uh, he was very generous with his time. And I'll say that Lindsey Graham was very generous with his time. And he said, look, ask me anything. So I did. I asked a lot of questions about a lot of issues. I also asked him whether Mr. Trump, his friend uh, should be the Republican nominee uh, for the presidency in 2024. Listening to the latter part of the answer as well, the Q&A, absolutely fascinating man, Lindsey Graham. I think he could be, but it'd have to go like this. And here's why he might be. All right, you lived through four years of this. You get a chance to start over. Remember me? That may not be your cup of tea, but when I was president, our border was secure. We had the lowest illegal crossings in 40 years. I did it. I got Mexico to help us. When I was president, I stood up to China and they listened. When I was president, we had the strongest military since Ronald Reagan. When I was president, I destroyed the caliphate. When I was president, uh, we had conservative judges, not liberal judges. He has a story to tell. When I was president, we had the cops back. Give me another chance. We don't have to live this way. You get to speak to Mr. Trump on a regular basis. All the time. What do you say to him as the things that he got wrong most that he needs to improve on to be the best Republican candidate and the next president of the United States? Knock the crap off about 2020. <laughs> okay, you know, people watching this, whether you like Trump or not, it was a consequential president. NATO paid more because he made them pay more. And when he put tariffs on China, that's what led to the Mexico change. The reason Mexico helped us secure the border in an unprecedented way, he told them, I want to have a good relationship, but I'm not going to tolerate you being a passageway to illegal immigrants. And what I did to China, I'm going to do to you. And guess what? It worked. I think a strong American president, unpredictable, is a good thing.
as long as you keep it within the boundaries. His problem is personal. His policies have stood the test of time, but has he worn the American people out in terms of his personality? Just too much, can't go there again. Time will tell. But I will say this, after the Biden presidency, if there's a policy debate in 2024, I like his chances. If it's a personality contest, he'll be in trouble. And when you ask him, when you say to him about 2020, about the election, yeah. how does he respond? He says to that? I was cheated. I said, okay, um, I voted to certify the election. Uh, COVID created some real misadventure regarding mail-in balloting. There were some problems with the 2020 election. But not to the extent that I, you know, Biden's a legitimate president. I'm not, not saying he's not. But President Trump genuinely believes that the system was rigged against him. And I said, Mr. President, I'm not trying to tell you to change your beliefs. I'm trying to tell you that you have no chance of winning in 2020. But you have a pretty good chance of winning in 2024 if you want to. And uh, I'm literally telling you what I tell him. If you lose again, you're, the history about who you are and what you did dramatically changes. If you come back, it will be one of the greatest political comebacks in American history. And if you get four more years, you can do big stuff. I really believe that the most logical person to fix a broken immigration system, getting all, all parties together is Donald Trump, because if he says this is a good deal to the right, they'll fall in line. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.